Are you looking for a talk show featuring leading global voices? Do you want to learn more about how international issues directly affect people locally? Global Connections Television presents the insights of global influencers at no cost to viewers and programmers. GCTV is independently produced and reaches more than 70 million potential viewers worldwide each week. The show covers everything from human rights to climate change, from peace and security to empowering women and girls. It features guests such as Dr. Jane Goodall, former UN High Commissioner for Human Rights Mary Robinson, and Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul, and Mary. The show also hosts expert voices from the private sector, academia, and labor and environmental movements. GCTV is available to public television media outlets, universities, and service clubs for distribution. To watch the show or find out more, click the link in our episode description. Hi, I'm Casey Candela. And I'm Stephanie Fillion, and welcome to Unscripted. Today, Norway's New Year's resolutions are to make its mark during its only Security Council presidency this term, and to promote international peace and security along the way. We talk about it with Ambassador Mona Yule and expert Niels Nagelhus Shia. This is Unscripted, a podcast taking you inside the United Nations and beyond the scripted debates to the people at the heart of it all, the diplomats and the reporters covering them. Ambassador Mona Yule has broken the glass ceiling many times during her diplomatic career. Her proudest accomplishment was recently portrayed on Broadway and was turned into a movie on HBO called Oslo. Like other theatrical productions inspired by real-life events, some of it was fictional. So here's Ambassador Yule's own story. Well, I had my first posting as a young diplomat in Cairo, and I fell in love with the Middle East. (laughs) And that is a really, very long story, but I was involved in the Oslo peace process and the Oslo Accords, and I suppose no matter what one think and, and have seen or what happened to that agreement, it was a huge achievement at the time. I, I will be that immodest because it was the first time that Israel and PLO met face to face and agreed on a process on how to finally make peace. But it was a gradual process, but it was an agreement uh, for, for the first time between them. And I think for a country like ours and for those very few of us that were involved in those secret talks to manage to have them agree and to have them come to Washington and to, to sign that agreement uh, outside the White House on the White House lawn was, uh, was, was quite a proud moment, to admit. Ambassador Yule was the only woman on the negotiation team leading to the Oslo Accords. And that's where she got her crash course in diplomacy, an important skill that is surely useful in the Security Council. We were a very, very small team consisting of, I mean, the one that was sort of were on, on the talks all the time and did sort of the, the hard work was sort of the, the then uh, uh, Deputy Foreign Minister Jan Egelen, who later became OCHA and other UN positions, and is now heading the Norwegian Refugee Council. Then it was my husband, he was then at the, at the Research Institute in, in Norway. I was working in the Secretariat of the Foreign Minister, and very few other people who were those who managed to convene 
the two sides, the PLO coming in from Tunis at the time and, uh, and from Israel. And it had to be done in the hugest secrecy and we had to sort of provide them in locations that would not be disclosed and uh, we were sort of so afraid that the media would <laughs> find out that something was going on. But I think most people thought that was unlikely. So my, my own role was working with the deputy minister and the foreign minister sort of as, as their sort of representative into the talk. And I was certainly the only woman on the team, but it was really, really hard work and very demanding because we ended up with being a little of a, of a punch bag between the two sides when they couldn't agree, they took it out on us and we, when they broke up and said they would never come back and we had to convince them to come back and not give up and uh, so it was, it was really hard work on many levels. We had to talk to them, had to make sure that they continued to talk and I had to brief the foreign minister, make sure that we could do something in between in order to get them back again and so we were going on for nine months like this, uh, 24-7, <laughs> but it ended up with a result that uh, I'm pretty proud of. Yule's husband, Tarje Rud Larsen, is a Norwegian diplomat himself. He is also featured in the HBO movie because he too was instrumental in brokering the 1993 Oslo Accord. Rud Larsen is also infamous for having taken a personal loan of $130,000 from the now-deceased child sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein. When Rude Larshan's financial ties to Epstein came to light in 2020, he resigned as head of the International Peace Institute, a think tank in New York. But that's a topic that Ambassador Yule does not usually comment on publicly. She is very focused on her own diplomatic career, which she landed in almost by accident. I never had any plans to become a diplomat. I grew up in a small town in Norway on a dairy farm and I planned to be a social worker when I was in second grade school. But then I ended up going to Oslo, our capital, to study at the university and broadened my perspective, I suppose, <laughs> and studied sort of international relations. But really by accident that I ended up applying for, uh, I was in London actually at the LSE for uh, a year. And then somebody from Norway called and said, oh, you know, that there is this deadline for the application for the training in the Norwegian Foreign Service. I thought you mentioned once that you said, no, 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 that's not for me. And, and I think the deadline is, uh, is, is, is done. And, uh, but then, I, okay, I'll see how it works. <laughs> but I never regretted it. Since then, Yule has been posted in Israel, the U.S., and the U.K., She became ambassador to the UN in New York in 2019 and was then elected president of the UN's Economic and Social Council, or ECOSOC. She now leads Norway's long-awaited term in the Security Council, which began a year ago. January is the country's one and only presidency during its two-year term. That's something some Norwegians have been waiting for for a long time, too. That includes Niels Nogelhushia, a senior research fellow at the Norwegian Institute of International Affairs. Multilateralism and the United Nations organization is a, a very important part of Norwegian foreign policy traditions. And this is the fifth time that we're part of uh, the UN Security Council. The last time we were part of it was back in 2001, 2002. And then after five years, I think, in 2007, we launched 
the Norwegian candidacy for the seat in 2021-2022, the current seat. So we launched our candidature back then, and then we slowly started to work on the campaign. But it really didn't begin before in back in 2018, I think, after the Swedes had been part of the Security Council. Norway joins the campaign for a seat in the Security Council more or less every 20 years. And then it's part of a Nordic rotation where we rotate on taking a seat. So uh, after Norway, then comes Denmark and then Sweden. And then so we don't want to disturb each other's campaign. When it started its council term in January, Norway took over three quite challenging files. North Korea, cross-border humanitarian aid to Syria and Afghanistan. Syria is contentious because Russia and China have been pushing to reduce humanitarian access to the war-torn country, sometimes successfully. Norway and Ireland got the council to renew the Syrian cross-border mechanism last July for one year. And shortly after the Taliban took control of Afghanistan in September, the council also renewed the mandate for UNAMA, the UN's assistance mission in that country. So we asked Ambassador Yule what helped her make progress on all these difficult files in the last six months, and if she gets any sleep at all. No, not enough, but hopefully uh, as much as is required to still be able to to do some hard work. But uh, we can do that because we have a wonderful team at this mission. We are really uh, blessed with um, the best there is of Norwegian diplomats, so we manage pretty well. We are working, and we did before the resolution in July and uh, this summer, we worked really, really very hard, not least also among the other elected members, because we feel that this is really an elected member file. And we knew what we were up against, that we worked very systematically with our E10 colleagues, but of course also speaking to all the P5s. And as Norway, I think we have managed to maintain sort of good relations with and working relations with all the P5s. And that has also been what we are striving for when we are working on the different issues as well. I mean, really making sure that we are talking to everybody. I mean, that it is always to use our diplomatic tool as a way of getting to a result, which is extremely important. (laughs) I mean, of course, we have our policy, we have our principles, but I would say in the Syrian case, I couldn't think of anything more meaningful than working in order to provide humanitarian assistance to millions of of people in Syria. We have six plus six, meaning 12 months until next summer. We'll see when we are there. We know that it is difficult, but as long as the humanitarian needs are there, we will also be there to make sure that humanitarian assistance gets into Syria for the Syrian people. For Nils Nagelos Shia, Afghanistan and Syria also represent Norway's biggest accomplishments so far in the council. There are some achievements that we could mention. So uh, Norway is uh, responsible for or a co-pen holder for the humanitarian access to Syria file. Norway managed to renew the mandate for that one in the summer, in July. And this was not a given that it would be renewed, this mandate. So that was uh, an achievement. 
And another achievement, at least that the Norwegian Ministry of Foreign Affairs like to mention so far, is also the resolution on the right to education in conflict, which gives kids the right to being educated, even though the country or the region is in conflict. It's just something that they like to highlight and mention when they talk about achievements so far. We could also mention that in the middle of all the crisis and commotion earlier this year in Afghanistan, the Security Council was able to renew the mandate of uh, UNAMA. But this month, Norway faces its greatest challenge yet during its term, assuming the council presidency in January. The country will be responsible for scheduling meetings on the most pressing issues of international peace and security, including Myanmar, Ethiopia, Libya, and possibly Ukraine because of the Russian buildup of troops near the border. And on top of all that, Norway has its own priorities to highlight. We have to make sure to put our our mark on that month and to make sure that our priorities will be reflected also. I mean, we, we push our priorities in every single meeting when we are not in the presidency, but of course the presidency gives us a chance to be more focused and have somewhat more influence on the agenda of the council. So as a red thread sort of throughout our council will be our background in preventive diplomacy, uh, peace and reconciliation work, starting out with a small retreat that we will do in the beginning or close to the middle of the month with our colleagues in the council. And then another very important priority for us are both protection of civilians, where we will also focus on that through focusing on urban warfare and the consequences, the humanitarian consequences during war in cities, which are sort of pretty dramatic and often more severe than in other conflict types, I would say. And then, of course, on women, peace and security, where we will also focus uh, on protection of women, peace builder, women involved in, in political processes, female human rights defenders, and make sure that this issue of reprisal is not what is being experienced by, for instance, reefers that we ask to come to the council and what they experience. We have many examples of what they experience after having uh, spoken on the council on on the situation on the ground in their countries, and we have to make sure that that doesn't uh, happen. The Crown Prince, Hakon, visited in December for an event on the protection of education in conflict. Fun fact, Ambassador Yule told us the Crown Prince was an intern at the UN mission 20 years ago. I wonder how he got that job. The high-level visitors coming in January are part of Norway's new government that took office in late 2021. Here's Nils Nagelhushia on the significance of changing governments halfway through Norway's Security Council term. It was the Labour Party in charge of the new government together with uh, another political party. And even though it's a new government, one important thing in Norway is that the foreign politics is not being that much discussed because the political parties mainly agree on the big lines and interests and values in foreign politics. So the new foreign minister has said that uh, Norway will, for instance, continue its four prioritized topics in the UN Security Council. So it does not mean a major shift in what Norway will be doing in the Security Council. It's a continuation of uh, what the previous uh, 
government did, I think. Ambassador Euler agrees that even though the government changed, the country's foreign policy will likely remain the same. The huge advantage with Norway and party politics in Norway is that on foreign policy there is almost close to a common approach on foreign policy. And that also, I think, was a huge strength for us during our campaign for the council. We knew that we would have an election when we were on the council. And of course, in some countries that could mean quite a dramatic change. But also then we told countries that we, even if there will be a change of government, we can assure you that the main priorities, the main outlook that we have on, on foreign policy will be the same. Expectations are high for Norway in the Security Council, given its reputation as a skilled, neutral broker for peace internationally. Nils Nagelhushia has just published a paper comparing the council terms of Estonia, a small Baltic country that left the council in December, with Norway's so far. He thinks Estonia punched above its weight during its term, adding cybersecurity to the council's agenda. So we asked him, is Norway also punching above its weight? I think it's punching in its weight. <laughs> yes. You know, the UN Security Council is not better than the sum of its member states. And even though I'm Norwegian and not uh, very objective, I think it's fair to say that uh, Norway is pulling the Security Council in a good direction because it's putting a lot of resources into this and it has a lot of knowledge and it has a good foreign service, which is doing a lot of good work, I think, in the Security Council. And I also think that Norway has taken on a lot of quite heavy responsibilities with its pen-holding responsibilities and expert groups and also sanction committees. And this represents a lot of work for a member state. Norway is doing it. At least what I've heard from elsewhere is that uh, they're doing a good job. Of course, it can always do better, but uh, I think it's pulling the Security Council in a positive direction. For Ambassador Yule, the priority is to keep an eye on what's boiling around the globe while not forgetting all the crises the Council is already monitoring. That's why, for the year to come, she's not hoping to get more sleep, but just to make sure that the list of conflicts the Council is watching won't get longer. If we look at the situation of Myanmar, Yemen, Ethiopia, Libya, I mean, there are developments that are not going in the right direction. Of course, we have uh, a troop build up on the border of Ukraine. There is always uh, something that can also flare up in the Middle East, is my experience. <laughs> and also, of course, on the Korean Peninsula. I mean, we don't know, but we should be prepared because. We think also that it is sort of the duty of the council to be ready to convene and to express itself if there are things happening that is a threat to international peace and security. And we will certainly make sure that as president as well, that we will be a convener at times of conflict. Who knows? Perhaps she'll broker another diplomatic success that will be worthy of another movie. That's it for our show. 
Thank you to all of our listeners for sticking with us and supporting our coverage. We wish you a happy, healthy, and peaceful 2022. This episode was co-produced by me, Casey Candela, and Stephanie Filion for Pass Blue, an independent women-led media site covering the United Nations and global affairs. Dulcie Leimbach is our editor. Anna Bianca Roach is our researcher. AI Digital created our podcast logo. And our music is by Poddington Bear. A lot happens at the UN beyond what we report in each episode of Unscripted. And Pass Blue is covering the important news from women's rights to human rights to peacekeeping. For day-to-day coverage, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And to subscribe to our newsletter, go to PassBlue.com. PassBlue's in-depth and exclusive stories and this podcast are possible with the support of the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the New School, and listeners like you. To show your support, visit PassBlue's website and click Donate. Unscripted is available wherever you find podcasts. If you like today's show, please rate us on iTunes and share with all your friends.